addressing the deity of Jesus, but Jesus's rule, not just over the church, but his rule over uh, the universe. He's writing to the church of Colossae, uh, which is now, if you, you know on your map, um, which is now modern day Turkey, uh, not the substance you eat, but there's an actual country uh, called Turkey. I don't know if you knew that uh, or not. This was a part of Rome. Now, I want to just side note this just for a second because I want to talk about Rome because this this is going to have a lot to do with with Paul and, and how he's addressing and and really Paul's going to take some subtle jabs at the Roman Empire and so you need to know some things about Rome. Rome's rule was about what like 1500 years? That's a long time. Let's put that into perspective, okay? You might not hold the United States of America is Congratulations, you all failed. I, don't, I was hoping you knew the answer because I didn't. I didn't look this up before I came up here. 200-something years, all right? So think about that. There's a lot of cracks in our foundation today as a country. That's not a political thing. That's just a fact, okay? And if you've been with us long enough, I, I've always said that. I've always thought that. Rome here... <laughs> 1,500 years. A lot of things came from Rome, if you know. Um, Roman Empire, still today, okay? There are roads that they created that are still in existence today. All right, here's my problem with that. Can't even get Highway 29 right, y'all. <laughs> Pay that thing every two or three years. I'm like, can y'all get it right? The Rome, come on, Rome. Y'all, can we not just follow their playbook here on this? They, they've, got, <laughs> they've, got, they've got a lot of good things going, but there's a lot of wickedness that's a part of this empire. Um, the church has begun to take things that the Romans believed and begin to attach it to Jesus. So it was Jesus plus Greek thought. It was Jesus plus, and one of the Greek thoughts was, uh, well, it's, it's a plethora of things. It's it's your religion plus mine. It's, it's all of these things. And so Paul has to come in here and address the Romans uh, with these subtle jabs uh, to the church of Colossae. And he's like, is your, is your faith really in Rome or is your faith in Jesus? Is your hope in the Roman Empire or is your hope in Jesus? Now, here's what you have to do with your mind when you come to think about the, the Roman Empire. One of them was right. Either Paul's right or Rome is correct. Rome would use and wield their power to people that if you bucked the system, they would crucify you. Jesus would also display his power by also going willfully to a cross for the forgiveness of our sins. One of them is still in power, and the other one is still something that we read in history. And so Paul is correct. If your hope is in Rome, it's going to fail. If your hope is in these things, then it's going to fail. So here comes this guy named uh, Epaphras, all right? This is a cool little cat. Epaphras, uh, he goes and hears this man, I don't know if you've ever heard him named Paul, and Paul's preaching in Ephesus. Epaphras 
is radically transformed and he is saved. And he begins to preach the gospel everywhere. He goes back to his, his hometown in Colossae and he plants a church here. And the church begins to flourish and grow here. Later, Paul is arrested and he is about to be shipped back to Rome as he awaits his trial and then later will be beheaded. Meanwhile, Epaphras comes and visits Paul in prison and he begins to talk through some of his concerns. He begins to talk through like some of the threats that are happening to the church. One of the threats was this, this Greek thought uh, gnosis. All right? This is an idea where it, you, you gain wisdom and you're looking for wisdom beyond our understanding. It's like, it's like let's dive deep into the universe and find the mysteries of all uh, life and figure things out and let's just expand our knowledge with all of these incredible ways to life. More knowledge, more wisdom. Let's mix all of our worldviews. And then you had the Jewish thing that was, that was happening that was a threat to the church where it wasn't just Jesus anymore, but it was Jesus plus works. Jesus, yeah, he's, he's good, but we've got, we've got to stick to our traditions. We, we've got to still do these things in order to gain the righteousness from God. And so you had this threat, and I would summarize this threat to us like this. It was an offense to the supremacy and the sufficiency of Jesus and who he really is. The threat was, church, Jesus isn't enough. We have to add things to it. Jesus isn't enough. We've got to gain more wisdom and knowledge about the, wis about the things of the universe. Jesus isn't enough. We've got to mix our other traditions in this Jesus stuff. And might I suggest to us this morning, we aren't far removed from what's happening in Colossae. We, same, we, we face the same threat, y'all, where Jesus isn't enough. This threat is still plaguing our world today. It is an attack on the supremacy and the sufficiency and the sovereignty of Jesus. And Paul is about to address all of this. Like, if you don't believe me, like, <laughs> turn the news on, all right? Jesus isn't enough. Well, he's not the answer to all of the issues we have, so we've got to do more things. I mean, you see this is plaguing all of us. Jesus isn't the answer to marital situations. Jesus isn't the answer to relational situations. So what do we do? We've got to go find the answer to it. We've got to legislate because Jesus isn't the answer to, to racism. We've got to find all of these different things to figure out what the answer to life's problems is. And so we have this threat to us. And this is also why we get more cults, by the way. Jesus isn't enough. Well... Well, we've got to do more works, i.e. you get the, the Mormon church. Jesus isn't enough. Yeah, you've got to be a part of the 144,000 frozen chosen, right? Jesus isn't enough. I thought that was funnier. But, but. <laughs> it's been a while, all right? Y'all bear with me. The jokes are going to get better. The more people come in. Thanks, Matt. I already got, you got my back. 
Pokey, whoever that was. Thank you, Pokey. Someone over here. Paul is writing this letter, and it's a warning to him. It's a warning that there's a threat lingering around the corner because Epaphras has, has told me a lot of great things about you guys, but I need you to understand there's a threat looming. And, and this is Paul's letters throughout the New Testament. And it's so interesting to me that how, how we can be so easy, this church, where we've got all of these great things going for us, but the moment you get Jesus wrong, it unravels really quickly. Colossians chapter 1, verse 1. The rest of this is going to be easy. So this is a Paul commending this church, and it's a really fascinating thing that's happening. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brothers of, Jesus, of Christ at Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And when we pray for you, and this is beautiful, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love that you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven, of this you have heard before the, wor the word of the truth, the gospel, which has come to you as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and increasing as it also does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth. Just if you have learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant, he is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf Amen. and has made known to us your love in the spirit. And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you. Listen to this prayer Paul has. Asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and understanding so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints and light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness. He has transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son, in whom we have redemption and forgiveness of sins. The interesting thing about this letter is that Paul has never met these people. Okay. He's only writing to them based off of what he's heard from their pastor. Okay. And this is beautiful to me because if, if, if there was someone to write a letter about us, well, I would pray to God that the letter would read very similar to this. Hey, y'all, I heard about this church down in West Point. They're a little bit of a motley crew. But I heard about their faith in Jesus Christ. That's astounding because this is the very first thing that Paul starts with. He didn't start with his faith in yourself. You know, like, because that's, that's a big thing to do right now. And we'll talk about, you just got to be, you, you got to have faith in yourself. Oh, yourself that will deceive you. Oh, yourself that will destroy things if it were left up to you. That self? Oh, okay. Paul, Paul begins with, he commends them for the first thing. And I like this first thing, their faith in 
Christ. Their faith in Christ, not their faith in Rome. You hear that? You see the jab now? Not their faith in a political system. Not their faith in each other. Not their faith in a relationship. But their faith, first and foremost, in Christ Jesus. This is what we get as first things. This has to be the first things about Refuge Point. If you're wanting to see what a beautiful picture of the church looks like, just read these few verses right here. Faith in Christ Jesus love for each other, and a hope for eternity. If I were to mark the church for anything, this is what the church should look like. First and foremost, having a faith in Jesus Christ. This faith, this this faith in Jesus, this is where we get one of our solas, the, the sola fide, this faith alone in Jesus Christ. Christ alone. Now, this is important because Paul's about to address. I've almost tripped up over that carpet 14 times. Paul almost, he's going to address this faith in Jesus because that's, that is, some of y'all are laughing because y'all wanted to see that. <laughs> is that why you're laughing so hard, John? <laughs> faith in Jesus. This is important because you got to get the Jesus part right. Because Paul's about to address this later on. I don't want to step on all my sermons in the next couple weeks. But, but this faith has got to be in the right Jesus. It can't be in the Mormon Jesus who was um, some birth creation from Mother God and Heavenly Father. It can't be the, the J-Dubs Jesus, Jehovah's Witness for all you non-West Pointers. Um, the the J-Dub Jesus who was like Michael the Archangel, which is so weird. It can't be the Muslim Jesus who was just some prophet. It has to be the Jesus of the Bible, the faith in Jesus of the Bible, because if we get that wrong, everything else is going to unravel. Faith in Jesus Christ. And the question for us, if the letter was to be written to Refuge Point, like what's, where's our faith? Who's your faith in? Is it in yourself? Is it in your relationships? Is it in Is it in the economy? And I hope not because you just saw how fickle that joker is. Is it in a political system? I mean, for these guys, he's asking, like, I commend you for your faith in Jesus. And thank God it's not in the Roman Empire. And I would say of refuge that our faith in Jesus is the foundation in which we are as a church. It cannot be in other things. It cannot be in systems. This is a beautiful picture of the church and the first steps starts with our faith in Christ. And then he goes on. He commends them for this faith in Jesus. And then he says, and I've, I've heard so many good things about how you love one another. Okay. I love that he's, he, and particularly like this is the love for the church. Now, in the New Testament, there is an inseparable link uh, between trusting in the gospel of Jesus Christ and loving the saints. There's this new idea. It's pretty new to us, all right? Probably a decade or two old uh, within the church where you've probably heard it. Maybe you've even said it like, I love Jesus. I love God. But the church, mm. you know what the Bible would call you? A liar. Because first John would tell us like, like you have to love God and love the brethren also. Like I just went so old school Baptist on you because I just called all y'all brethren. 
Like you've got to love each other. It's love for God and love for people. Without the love for people, you're just a liar if you say, I love God, but I hate his church. This is first. So Paul's like, all right, love that you got faith in Jesus, and I love how you love each other well. And in context, he's like, I love your love for the church. You know, and I also think this can be a broader love for our neighbors. How well are we loving our neighbors? How well are we loving people, especially in this time that we live in? We don't need more of your opinions. We need more of your love for each other. I'm glad I got some amen up in here this morning. Man, we got to have more love, y'all. I could go on so many tangents, but I'm trying my best to, to hold in. And I, I don't think it's by accident that we're in this message today. Because what the world needs right now is the church to show this indescribable, unconditional love for each other. No more hate and bigotry. And then, he, then he stops right here and he says, also, by the way, I love your hope that you have. Listen to what he says, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. This is eternity. This is like the view, like my view is, my hope is my view on eternity. I've got my sight set on being with Christ forever. Of this you have heard before the word, the truth, the gospel. So why do they love each other well? It's because of their hope in heaven and their hope in the gospel. Now, hear me at one point or another. Now, this is going to be like a Debbie Downer for you, so let me just warn you, okay? Let me just prepare you. At one point or another, you're not going to be here. By not being here, I mean one day you're going to die. All right, welcome to the most encouraging sermon ever. All right, it may happen this year. may happen next year. may happen. You may grow old, be an ornery white old man like I'm going to be yelling at kids for getting on my lawn and you may you may be old like Willie you know you may you may get that get to that point in age but at, but, but at one point you're going to die and death has a way of refocusing the mind and it always asks this question like where's your hope at because at the end of your life like that's a valid question to ask like where's your hope at if your hope is not said before you like the eternal eternity with Jesus Christ then, then where, where's your hope you, you have none okay. their hope that Paul is, is, is worried about here and that he's commending them about like I'm, I'm glad your hope is on eternity because if your hope isn't you probably got your hope up in the Roman Empire and things are going to go bad where's our hope at so Paul is giving us this this beautiful picture of, of what the church looks like. And, I, and I'm, I'm glad because if I were to write this letter about refuge, I believe I would say the same thing about us. But Paul also understood that while we have our first things first here, it's really easy to lean towards something else and just watch all of the foundational things just collapse before your eyes. Paul understands that there's an evil lurking around the corner and if you're not careful, these small little things will infiltrate the church and destroy it. Okay. Okay. I, love, I love this, this 
this is what Paul starts to pray. And I, I would think that this is just one of the most fascinating prayers and beautiful prayers other than what Jesus prays um, in, in the Gospels. Paul, he gives us this prayer, and I just want to outline this just for uh, a few more minutes. Paul prays for two things in this, the next few verses. He prays for a gospel-centered knowledge of Jesus. And out of the knowledge of Jesus, Paul is praying for gospel transformation. Let me say that one more time. He's praying for a gospel-centered knowledge in Jesus. And out of our knowledge of Jesus, gospel transformation. Here's where I get this in verse 9. Look what he says. And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you. And again, I can't overstate this. Paul's in prison, <laughs> waiting trial, about to be beheaded, and he's praying for him. Amen. All right, if I'm in a wet, cold cell, my head's about to be chopped off, I ain't praying for Naren one of y'all. I'm praying for myself. <laughs> Paul is right here. man. This is, I mean, just being honest with y'all. I love y'all. I do. Hey, he says, I'm praying for you. I just want to get you in that context. Asking that you may be what, filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. You remember the Greek heresy that's coming up? You need more knowledge, more wisdom of the things unseen and unheard. You need more knowledge from the universe. Sorry, I know that's weird. But this is what they're doing. Paul is like, no, you don't. I'm praying that you just have a knowledge of Jesus Christ. Why? Because there's an attack on the sufficiency and the supremacy of Jesus Christ. And so watch what happens. Out of your knowledge of Jesus comes what? Gospel transformation. I want you to have a knowledge of Jesus Christ so that the gospel roots into your soul so that gospel change, gospel transformation takes place. Look at verse 10. So as to walk in a matter worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. So out of a knowledge of Jesus, look what happens. Gospel transformation bearing fruit, overflowing with the gospel and spreading it everywhere. Listen, we all want transformation right now. We want to see broken marriages restored. We want to see broken lives restored. We want to see people get off drugs and alcohol. Alcohol. We want to see racial reconciliation. There isn't a Christian that would want those things. If they don't want those things, they're just not a Christian. We all want to see wounds healed. We all want to see justice. We all want to see these things. But the problem is, is that we just don't see Jesus as being the one who can bring these changes. So we come up with our best practices. We, we come up with our best innovations. And all it does is it just puts a Band-Aid on a shotgun wound okay. and never deals with the heart 
of the issue because the heart of the issue is that Jesus is the answer. Yes, yes. The heart of the issue, and nobody wants, nobody wants to realize this. Like, yeah, sure, more legislation, fine. I, I won't have a problem with that if that's helping. But, but again, what, what I would just strongly suggest all it's doing is just putting a Band-Aid do you, do you see what's, like, even in our culture today, do you see what's happening all around you? There's a threat in our country today, and the threat is the same that they faced in Colossae, that we don't see Jesus as being the all-sufficient and all-supreme and all-ruler that he is. We don't see Jesus as the answer to all of our issues. Amen. All right, let's be real. You got issues too. Okay. I'm not pointing my finger at culture right now. I'm pointing my long, jangly fingers at all of us. Amen. I'm glad you can't either. <laughs> like seriously though, the same thread is here. Man, we've got, we've got a lot of great things going for you, church. Okay. We've got first things the moment we take our eyes off of the all-sufficient one, things unravel, and we're just like the world. I love how the, the prayer ends, because this gives us an end result, all right? I like to see the end game, okay? I don't like all the process stuff. I just like to see, like, yeah. Let me, let me I see the picture now. Look, look what happens. This is what happens when you have the all-sufficient one in your sight, Jesus Christ. Look what he says I'm praying for. He qualified you. Well, well let, me, let me back up. Look what he says. He's, uh, look what you get. You get perseverance. You get endurance. Look what else happens. Verse 12-ish. He qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Look what he just did for us. Gave us endurance. He qualified you. He delivered you. He transferred you out of the domain of darkness into the light of Christ. And he forgave you now he sees you as the righteous one. Now he views you as righteous. This is what happens when you have your eyes set on Jesus Christ. He gives you perseverance. He gives you the endurance that you need to run this race. He qualifies you. Like so many of us, we just we don't feel like we have the sense that we're just not, not good enough. Or we're, I've heard it used before, like you like to navel gaze. You know what that means? Sit there and stare at your belly button. Like, your head <laughs> like that's a lot of what we do. We're like Eeyore's. Like, well, God ain't really going to use me. Listen, did you not hear what, God, what, what, just, what just happened? God qualifies you okay. to be used in his kingdom. Yeah. He delivered you from your past and sets you on a new trajectory in life. 
to the church of Colossae. They've got a faith in Christ. They have a love for each other. And they have a hope for eternity. Amen. And to the church of my people here, we've got to keep our faith in Christ, our love for each other, and our hope for eternity. Amen. Father, I thank you, Lord, for your goodness and your grace.